You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. For several weeks now, we have been journeying with the Apostle Paul through his letter to the Ephesians. And last week, we honed in on the second half of Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to do it again this week. It's a, it's a two-part one for this particular passage. Last week, our focus was on how, the ways that Jesus loves the church, that is, the believers, us. But what we also discovered is that Paul talks about Jesus' love for the church in the context of marriage between a husband and wife. So today, we want to delve back into that same passage and our emphasis being on marriage. So if you're married, or if you're ever thinking about being married, this is God's word to you. Here is our text one more time. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. I can't think of a more romantic statement. And us men would just love to leave it right there and, boy, that was the end of what Paul had to say. It wasn't. And that's not even where he began. If you notice when we did verse 21, it begins with submit to one another. Now, our modern ears hear that word submit, and it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. What did Paul, what did that mean? We're going to get into that. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Now you will not get how radical this was in the first century. As a male dominated culture where a husband could initiate a divorce for something as simple as burnt toast. No kidding. It was just a a figure that this is somebody who pleases me no longer. So we're done. Paul comes along and in that culture, he says, husbands, love your wives. But he doesn't stop there. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, how much does he love the church? Gave himself up for her. He died for the church. He died for us. Do you see the bar that Paul has raised for husbands? Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Now Paul is going to quote from Genesis 2.24. First book of the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2 are before sin entered the world. So this is about our first parents, Adam and Eve, and marriage as God designed it. 
This is the world as God intended it before sin corrupted it. So he's going to quote, Paul is going to quote Genesis 2, 24. And he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. By the way, Jesus also quotes this same verse when asked about marriage. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Here we learn that marriage is between a man and a woman. We're already into the controversy of our day. Didn't take long, did it? And just saying man and woman, well, there's another controversy. See, the Bible says in Genesis 1.27 that God made us male and female. The culture doesn't teach sexual identity, male and female. It says as, as if God just created persons and we get to live out whatever identity we choose for ourselves. That's the culture's version. And as a result, it affects how we see gender roles and marriage roles and everything. But what we're seeing in our day is that Christians and non-Christians coming to the same conclusion about sexuality and marriage. It shouldn't be. The Christian mind that has been washed by Scripture and informed by Scripture thinks as God thinks. And when we see here it's male and female, that that's what constitutes marriage that was created by God. And Paul quotes Genesis 2, and it's supposed to be a process where a man leaves his father and mother, marries his wife, then consummates the covenant. The two become one flesh. Paul quotes it here. Jesus quotes it as well. That's the way it was from the beginning, the way that God intended it. Now, some of you are going to say, well, that's very controversial. Keep reading the book. Almost everything is. The question is, will we be God's messenger or God's editor? Now, this isn't to say that it doesn't raise all kinds of questions for us. Christ is the head of the church, and in the church, we are to love and submit to Christ. And so in the covenant of marriage, it's the husband who is supposed to be the loving head of the home, and the wife respectfully submits to him. Now, what does that mean? What does that not mean? There's a lot of controversy and conflict here, but by the grace of God, I hope to give you a clear version of what we believe the Bible says, but more importantly, what I'm convinced the Bible teaches. The first category of questions come under the main question of what does it mean for a wife to submit to and respect like Jesus? Let me share some of those Bible passages again so you see where I got this. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So when I'm talking about a wife submitting to her husband, respecting her husband. I'm talking about those two concepts that are united by the Bible. Ephesians 5 is not the only place. 
You'll see the same language in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Peter 3, Colossians 3. It appears a lot in the Bible. So what does it mean for a wife to submit to and respect like Jesus? Well, let me begin with a few things of what it doesn't mean. Number one, it doesn't mean the wife is less valuable, less intelligent, or less competent. Both men and women bear equally the image and likeness of God. They have equal dignity and value. By the same token, it doesn't mean that men are more important than women. And it doesn't mean that the husband is more intelligent than the wife. This has nothing to do with IQ. It's like this. I have two hands. I'm right-handed. So this is my dominant hand. My right hand can do things my left can't. My left can do some things and my right can't. But when are they their strongest? When they're working together in a fashion that is complementary. You need both. And that's the basic idea here. The husband is the head of the home and the leader. The wife is intelligent. She's gifted. She's capable and competent. And what Genesis 2.18 says is that she's the helper. And sometimes that means she's more intelligent and competent in certain areas. So she, in her helping, the two become stronger together. Number two. This doesn't mean that men in general rule over women in general. It doesn't mean that. We're not talking gender issues. We're talking marriage issues. I've got two daughters. Here's what I would never say to them. Men are in charge. Do everything they say. Could you imagine saying that to your daughter? You know what that would lead to is abuse and degradation of women. All we're talking about here is the role between a husband and wife. We're not talking about, for example, let's say it's one of your daughters. It gets a status at work in which she's going to be having men answer to her. And what if she came up to you and said, Dad, I'm going to get this promotion. There are going to be men in the company who report to me. That's her job. That's not her marriage. We're not talking about every single conceivable role for a highly competent, intelligent woman. We're talking about structuring the family the way Jesus leads the church. Number three, it doesn't mean that the wife doesn't have independent thoughts. She has her own thoughts. I married a woman. I can confirm this as fact. She has her own thoughts. Sometimes those thoughts are different for mine. Any of you men ever seen that trend? Number four, it doesn't mean that she can't be an influence on her husband. Proverbs 19.14 says, a prudent wife is from the Lord. Put that together with Genesis 2.18, which says the man needs a helper. This means to be really helpful a woman is a prudent influence over her husband. Lori has more influence on me than anyone. A prudent, helpful, godly influence. And I think that's one of the reasons God put husband and wife together. He needs help. She can be a helper. And now for a couple of things that it does mean for a wife to submit to and respect like Jesus. For a wife to submit to and respect her husband does help guard a woman's 
tendency to distrust, despise, disrespect her husband. Let's just say from Genesis 3, from the time that sin entered the world, the proclivity of the sons of Adam is to be cowards and not take our responsibilities. And the proclivity of the daughters of Eve have been to disrespect the man and take matters into their own hands. The result is the world in which we live where a lot of marriages aren't going well, people aren't staying together, and there's a real free fall and a crisis. Secondly, it means she takes her cue from the Trinity and Jesus. Now we're at our theological roots. The Trinity, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. True or false? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they equally share all of the divine attributes. True. Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, submits to the Father. Also true. So you can be equal and yet under authority. That's why a teacher is not more important than a student. A political leader is not more important than a citizen. It's that somebody is leading and someone else is deferring to that leadership. It happens in a lot of our relationships. So if a police officer pulls you over because of speeding, you can't say to them, hey, we're equals. You have no right to write me a ticket. Next category of questions. What does it mean for a husband to love and lead like Jesus? The Bible says he's the head. He's the leader. He is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Let me state a very important point for us men. If God should bless you with a wife, the question is not, are you the head of the home? The starting question is, are you a bad head of the home or a good head of the home? Do you understand the difference? We read, Christ is the head of the church. Who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what the national poll says. Even if we were to take a vote and say, well, you know what? Jesus isn't the head of the church. Guess what? He is because God voted and that's the only vote that counts. And as Christ is the head of the church, it says that the husband is the head of the wife. So if you're a guy who's not loving his wife, not investing in his wife, not devoted to his wife, and you claim to be a Christian, you can't say something like, well, we decided I won't be the head of the household. You don't get to vote. God already voted. The question is, are you a good head of the household or a bad head of the household? That is an additional burden on the backs of men, and I want you to feel that. It's why, though, Eve sinned first in Genesis 3. God comes asking Adam, where are you? Adam couldn't look at God and say, hey, we voted, and I'm not the head of the household. God would say, I voted, and you are. Now, how do you know whether or not a man is a good head of the home? Well, he's not a bully. He loves his wife as Christ loves the church. This means that she will be growing and flourishing under his loving leadership. So number one, the question is not, are you the head, but are you a good or bad head of the family? For you single men, you need to know this. 
We are in a day when men are pathetic. For the first time in our nation's history, the majority of children born to young women are born out of wedlock. For the first time in our nation's history, young women are more likely than young men to be in college, to be in church, to be in the workforce, and to even have a driver's license. So we want men to take responsibility first for themselves, and then they marry, and then they consummate their covenant and devote the rest of their life to loving their wife. If you don't agree with this, go home, open your Bible, and begin to ask, God, do I disagree with you? Number two, men, we are not the highest authority. In authority over us are the elders in the church. If you're being a blockhead, we may need to come talk to you. Also in authority over us is the government. You do something against the law, you may be going to jail. Of course, God's word rules over us. We are under the authority of scripture and above it all is the resurrected, ruling, reigning Lord Jesus. We are not the highest authority, men. We're somewhere down the line. But God has given us relegated, delegated authority. That is to love women and children. Number three, we are to love our wife, not just marriage. Some of you single men, or maybe even when you were single and you had this thought, I've got in my mind a script for how I want marriage to go. So I'm just looking for a woman that I can hand this script to, and she's going to play the role because I love the thought of being married. It's not marriage that we're to love. It's our wife. It's easy to get married. It's really hard to love your wife as Christ loves the church. Any of you find that to be true? Anybody can put on a suit and a smile and say, I do. That's easy. To love your wife for 50 years as Christ loved the church, that's work. Number four, your most important human friendship is with your wife. Of course, our friendship with Jesus is the most important relationship, but I'm talking about in human terms, our friendship with our wife. Paul says repeatedly, husbands, love your wives. He's talking about this dynamic, growing friendship. I'll be the first to admit, there are seasons when I've not been a, a good friend to Lori, where I've had to repent and apologize to her for the times that I've been very selfish. But really, the, in essence, I think marriage is friendship because friends hang in there. They have fun together and they work through the hard times. In the best marriage, husband and wife love each other, know each other, work out their differences, make memories together. I can't tell you how important the friendship is. I first dated Lori when she was 17. I didn't want her to know any better. One of my life's goals is to be increasingly a better friend to her, to be the best friend she's ever had because she's the best friend I've ever had. I love being with her. I love making memories with her. So I've seen her through her teens, her 20s, her 30s, her 40s. I could keep going. <laughs> I heard somebody with wisdom say, no, don't. 
I want to be there if God grants us this in our 80s and to be our friend and to walk hand in hand, making memories, having fun, having worked through whatever may get in the way, but being through God's grace to the other side of it all. And that leads me to number five, love your wife whatever comes your way. There's a difference between a covenant and a contract. With couples that I'm about to marry, meeting with them, this is one of the things we talk about. A difference between a contract and a covenant. With a contract, you're given a list. You have to perform certain duties on that list. Once those duties are fulfilled, you check it off. Okay, that's completed. In the covenant of marriage, God does not give us a list. In Scripture, he gives us some things to do, but ultimately the big thing is love your wife as Christ loved the church. See, what happens is some of us want to reduce marriage to a set of lists. It's easier that way, we think. But the big overarching duty is husbands love your wife as Christ loves the church. She may get cancer. She may get sick. She may not be able to have children. Her extended, fam her extended family may drive you nuts. All kinds of things can happen. Number six, as the family leader, man, we are responsible for the well-being of the entire family. One of the most foolish things we can hear, even from Christian men sometimes, is something along these lines. Well, my daughter's 19. She's off at college. She's drinking and partying a lot. She's dating a total idiot, and she moved in with him, but she's an adult. What am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to be involved? You're the head of the household. You sit her down and say, honey, I love you. You're my responsibility. So I dumped him. I think that's a good role for a father to play, to be involved, to be involved with his wife, to be involved with his kids. They're his responsibility. Now, I know some can take that to the extreme. It can be an overbearing, almost abusive kind of thing. But I can almost guarantee that's not usually the case in our society. And number seven, she is a garden. You are the gardener. In Psalms, it says that the wife of a man who fears the Lord is like a fruitful vine. And in 1 Corinthians 11, it says that the woman is the glory of the man. That means she reflects who he is and what he does. So put those two things together. A fruitful vine, the glory of the man. Some of you guys would say, man, there are a lot of weeds at my house. You're the gardener. There's a lot of rotten fruit at my house. You're the gardener. You don't need another garden. You need to be a better gardener. Tend the one that you have. The best thing is to love your wife as Christ loved the church, to be a good gardener and pull up whatever weeds come so that you can cultivate, nourish, cherish your wife. And if God would so grace you the children that he's given you. And then, increasingly over time, your home will become more and more like a fruitful garden where you're glad to be because there is life and health and joy. But the work never ends. It's like a gardener's work never ends. For those of you that are married, I want you to think and, and pray about these things. 
And for those of you that are not married, 90 plus percent of you will marry. So ladies, don't marry a man who doesn't love you. Don't marry a man who doesn't love Jesus. Don't marry a man that you don't really respect and don't marry a man you wouldn't trust to make decisions. Rather be single than married and miserable. Men, don't marry a woman that you don't want to spend the rest of your life building a friendship with. Don't marry a woman who doesn't know Jesus because if she doesn't, she'll never understand you. And I would say, men, God doesn't give us a job description. What he gives us is one of his daughters. And he doesn't want us to just go check the boxes of duty. He wants to love us and help us love his daughter. That's what it means to be a Christian husband. Think about how Jesus was with the church. He marries her. He's committed to her. He's devoted to her. He'll never leave nor forsake her. He loves her in a covenantal way, not a cultural way. The world doesn't understand this. The world is not going to know this because the world in its wisdom doesn't know God. As, Roman, as Romans 12 states, I encourage you to be no longer conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you might be able to discern what God's perfect and pleasing will is for you, your relationships, your family, your legacy. After 40 years with my very best friend, I can say that God's way is the best way. Let's pray. Father, there is so much here that we want to take to heart because it's about relationships and it's not about the easy way. It's about the work of building on a foundation that includes you, has you at its beginning, must have you walk through so that you give us your grace and forgiveness so that we can then give grace and forgiveness to each other in our, in our relationships. And Lord, for those who are married to walk away inspired by your word, what you're speaking to their hearts, we all have places where we're not perfect. There are things, so many things that we need to work on. Lord, help us to see the value and worth in that. Not only for the joy that we can discover between a husband and wife, but what we are modeling to those around us. If we've been so graced to the children and grandchildren beyond us and, and generations to come, but more than that, even just out in the community, as folks see how we model our relationships with one another that speaks of you being so much at play in our lives. God, help us just to um, open up more fully to you. We pray this, knowing that it's through Jesus Christ that we have the greatest foundation of all, how much you love us, that you would go to the cross and die in our place to give us life. 
And so we come and we say thank you. And we make this prayer and all our prayers in the name of the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.